Hello and welcome back to Thrive in the New World, the six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and in our sixth episode, we're concluding our series of discussions about what is being coined our new world, exploring the challenges facing the business community in Northern Ireland and finding out how business owners are adapting And don't forget, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can listen back to our previous episodes with business owners from Schnuggle, Perlay, Bob and Burt's and Minprint, as well as our agri-food special. Well, today in this final episode, I'm joined by Richard Ramsey, Ulster Bank's Chief Economist in Northern Ireland, and Anne McGregor, the Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Richard and Anne, welcome to this final podcast. Richard is a well-known face and voice in Northern Ireland, commenting on a range of economic and business issues, including the housing market, the labour market and the performance of the private sector. He also runs the blog ulstereconomics.com, where you can find his commentary and research. And Anne McGregor is Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce and Industry, a well-known network for business with a membership of 1,200 companies, representing over 100,000 employees. Well, Richard and Anne, we are so pleased to have you both with us today to discuss and shed a light on the challenges and opportunities for the business community and indeed the wider economy. So Anne, the Northern Ireland Chamber is obviously so well known for its networking and events, I suppose, throughout the calendar year, as well as a whole range of support services that you provide. The social distancing restrictions must be a real challenge then for your organisation. How has the Chamber been coping? Good morning, Sarah. It's lovely to see you and Richard face to face. As you highlighted, we do a lot of events, conferences and programmes. And just, for example, last September, we had over a thousand delegates in St George's Market for uh, businesses to sell to each other. And in December, we had nine 150 guests in um, ICC with businesses and government listening to Louis Theroux. But all of that has changed. Um, But like other businesses, we've had to change and and pivot what we do. Um, And we've had to look at how we deliver services online. So after an initial week or two of thinking, oh my goodness, our business model's changed, what will we do? Uh, we just went online initially with Zoom and Microsoft Teams, but more recently uh, in partnership with ICC, we were able to do a leadership conference uh, using the studio uh, service. Now that has been really good because it helped us uh, attract speakers who normally wouldn't come to us from the Lebanon, from New York. We also had delegates that were high-level chief executives who may not have made the time normally. So that has been an absolute positive. But we're not just about events. Uh, we are about connecting people. We also help uh, businesses do export services and we promote um, businesses through our Ambition magazine, through our website. We were able to do that online If anything, oddly, there has been a positive. We have got closer to businesses because the team at the Chamber, who are a really great team, I have to say, that we simply all picked up the phone and said to businesses, how we how can we help you? And when we were helping them, the relationships were getting closer and building. So I'm hopefully, you know, they've remained with us and hopefully they will do as we, as, as this evolves. And that support that you provide is 
even better perhaps than it was before. So Richard, obviously, I mean, where do I start with you? What a turbulent time for the economy and suppose the big wrangle for everyone has been, you know, keeping people safe versus how are we going to save our economy? Um, how would you describe where we are since events unfolded in mid-March? Well, it's it's been a remarkable period, uh, to say the least. And uh, I suppose what has been most stark has been the speed and scale of the pandemic, the economic damage that's followed, and uh, the policy response. And if we think in terms of the scale of it, the global scale, if we look back to the last global financial crisis, it was mostly uh, Western Europe and uh, the United States and North America, whereas this time around, it's every economy in the world. Nowhere has escaped it. Uh, And then we've seen this simultaneous contraction around the world, and then it's been the speed as well. So we've seen uh, records tumbling everywhere in Northern Ireland. We've seen all these freak economic indicators for April and May, things like car sales falling by 99.4% year on year. We've had that with record falls in house sales. And everywhere you look, it's it's been records. And indeed, if you look at the UK economy, it's experiencing its sharpest recession in 300 years. And for Northern Ireland, that will be the worst that we've ever experienced. And again, as I said, it's it's been the speed of it. So we've seen a bigger fall within one quarter in terms of output than what we would have seen uh, during the entire uh, recession last time around. So it has been remarkable and uh, the policy response, whether it's by central banks or whether it's by government, has been equally remarkable with mind-boggling figures and money thrown at the problem where the likes of the US Federal Reserve at one point in in April was printing uh, $1 million a second in terms of to provide uh, money into the financial markets. And uh, when you look at uh, the UK as well, if you think of the the policy responses, Rishi Sunak has Mm -hmm. done whatever it takes. Uh, And we've had policy responses such as the the furloughing of, it was about nine and a half million people within uh, the UK and 240,000 people within Northern Ireland availed of that, where 80% of the wages of, of workers were picked up the tab was picked up by by government. If you'd thought of that a few months ago, would that ever happen? You never would have imagined that. And now even we have things like help out to eat out vouchers and money being thrown at the problem. For the UK, it's thrown about 380 billion this year in in order to uh, sort out the problem. So it has been do whatever it takes. And the, this time around, unlike maybe the last recession, for, as far as the Chancellor and the policy uh, people are concerned, there's been no messing about. No, we've definitely had much more support, but you don't have a crystal ball. And what you've said up until now has been very doom and gloom. I mean, are there any green shoots there for us to, to grasp onto at this stage? What do you think is going to change long term for the economy as a result of COVID-19. Well, I think we're we're now we've we're past the worst in terms of the falls in output. We're having recovery is is now ongoing, and indeed we have the the latest Ulster Bank PMI survey has then recorded growth for the first time uh, first time in seventeen months because the economy was actually in in my view a mild recession before COVID nineteen actually struck. But I suppose in the long term, the impact that we're going to have is, in many ways, COVID-19 has acted as an accelerant to trends which were already 
ongoing, whether it was trends in technology moving towards IT and the, the fact that people have had lockdown and gone working from home and Zoom and all of those kind of things, that has happened much faster than anybody would have anticipated. I wouldn't have done a Zoom call until, uh, in, until lockdown. Uh, and also in terms of uh, e even things in technology changes, people moving to contactless payments away from cash, all of that is kind of accelerated. I suppose in terms of the online shopping as well, we had before COVID-19, there was about less than 20% of uh, retail spending was online, whereas now that's uh, close towards one third. Uh, so those have all accelerated. And I suppose other areas which are maybe going to, some of the changes are going to be what happens with companies' supply chains. Because what we did see was the uh, uh, not very dignified bidding war between various leaders of st heads of state for PPE around the world and things like that. And in many ways, they were, they were found to be so reliant on sourcing material from China, too reliant, that's not going to happen again. And you're probably going to see a lot of supply chains then diversifying and people are going to have to at least have, if you're going to be sourcing um, material from China, you've got to have another source as well because you're, we were left overexposed on that front. Okay, well, yeah, and we were actually in a previous episode, we had the pleasure of having Sinead Murphy from the highly successful baby manufacturing, uh, product manufacturing company Schnuggle uh, joining us and she was exactly outlining those problems and sourcing product from China. And what do you think the implications for supply chains are going to be from COVID and particularly, we have to mention Brexit and add that into the mix too. <laughs> COVID has been had an exceptional uh, impact on the supply chain. As each country reacted, the workforce uh, went home and day-to-day uh, -day business activity just did not happen. And Asia wasn't buying and, and goods weren't moving. And some of that was to do with there was a shortage of storage at docks. There was actually very, uh, there was much less ocean-going uh, sailing. So products couldn't get out there. Even getting licenses to export product that wasn't essential was a problem. And air freight just declined rapidly. So when I'm speaking to companies like Greenfields or trying to get product into those areas, it just didn't happen. And likewise, um, if product's not going out, product's not coming back. And that's where Snuggle had their experience. Um, I, I actually think it will improve over time as the economy recovers, um, but it would be prudent to diversify where you buy your product and services. As Richard says, onshoring will become more and more important. And we found uh, companies that were here that were trying to source products suddenly found that they could get stuff locally and by developing partnerships and, and you know, all, a lot of that stuff that uh, was developed, uh, there was a, a, a small engineering company helping a blind company, for example. All of that needs to be built on. I also think in terms of supply chains, government need to look at using uh, a buy more locally. We are we're focused on price rather than value at all times and China can always beat anybody in price so uh, I would say government look at the value that's here locally and make some more decisions and change your CPD procurement uh, methods perhaps. 
I mean, everything has changed and everything is still changing and evolving. And what would you say the next 12 months hold in store for, for your members? Mm. You've talked about building those closer relationships and that um, this situation has allowed for that relationship building. But what advice are you giving to your members in terms of helping them to prepare and deal with the next year ahead? Each sector is having lots of different experiences, so it depends on the sector. Undoubtedly, the next 12 months will be continue to be very tough for hospitality and, and tourism and anybody in their supply chain. Other businesses that are in managed services and software, the likes of you know Allstate or Teleperformance or Fujitsu, they'll do well as long as they are supported to retain jobs and there's a bit more investment in that sector. Um, Companies that are in life sciences, like the, the big ones that we all know, like Randox or Almac, they'll, they'll, they'll continue to do well. Um, but we need to support more people into that sector. But we're, regardless of the sector, we're saying to business, look at your finances forensically and manage your costs really, really carefully without damage in production. We're also, as we keep saying, supply chains are important, so find local supply chains. Also, we're advising them to talk to their customers and make them aware of the resilience of Northern Ireland business. We have done better than uh, many, many uh, companies deal or countries dealing with this. Customers need to be reminded of that. Um, and finally, we're saying to companies, COVID has been very, very serious, but you need to look out for Brexit. Yeah. And we'll come on to Brexit absolutely yeah. uh, later on. We've been talking about how you thrive in this new world. We've been talking about adapting. We've been talking about pivoting. And, and many firms, small and large, have been doing that and doing it very well. We've also had contributions in previous episodes from Bob and Burt's, the coffee shop chain, and Pearly, which provides technology solutions uh, to retailers. Both firms have absolutely pivoted in the face of this crisis um, to, I suppose, retain their business. And they've done it very successfully and they've grown their business. But if we look at those sectors, I mean, we're hearing every day on the news now about, about job losses. I'm only just hearing Pizza Express losing staff. We've got Curry's PC World no longer needing as many managers as they do and many others. But, um, you know, Richard, if we look at even the retail, the hospitality sectors, the leisure industry, um, you know, how should businesses in these sectors be shaping their operations? How can they pivot if what they do can't go online? Yeah, well, it certainly certainly is challenging times for them. But I suppose it's if you take retail, for example, it's then you've got to look at improving the customer experience. Because in the same way as what we've seen during the whole uh, last number of months or more recent weeks, is you have for the likes of even like hairdressing you have to book appointments even for the kind of walk-in barbers that i would uh, frequent so you've time slots for that uh that's also emerged which perlay we're talking about that that's what they do uh with uh, some of their retailers if, if you do have to book a hairdressing appointment why not do the same if you're going in if you're going in to get uh, clothes a business suit or something like that and it's it's going to be you're going to see focusing on that kind of thing and how do you improve the experience which is difficult particularly at the time time now where there's all talk of masks you know people having to wear masks and you know whether some people they may prefer online to doing that but it's 
using technology where appropriate. It's all about things like managing queues and stuff, and even like Bob and Bert's, they've they've sort of adapted to that and getting apps and and using technology to make things more uh, more useful and more uh, appealing f- uh, for for your client base. But uh, it it is it is difficult, and uh, I suppose particularly for the hospitality sector and. Uh, cafes and restaurants and stuff it's things like working from home are going to transform whether they're viable or not and essentially in in terms of the hospitality space what you're having is you're going to have all the firms are currently chasing after fewer customers so you're probably going to see a shakeout or you will see a shakeout of the hospitality sector and in many ways just like with covid19 where if you had underlying health conditions you were vulnerable if you're a business and if you have underlying health conditions, or if you're not willing to embrace technology, innovation, do things differently, if you do nothing, you're likely uh, uh, to succumb to uh, insolvency and lack, you know, lack of customs. I suppose what COVID-19 has also shown us is that disruption can happen to business at any time. So that uncertainty, the fear of a second wave, a second shutdown, um, how do we prepare for that? Absolutely. And I suppose it was initially uh, a lot of businesses and people were talking about life after COVID, whereas actually it's living with COVID is is what you have to do. Because we don't know, even talk of getting a vaccine, that may happen, it may not. We haven't had vaccines for a whole range of uh, other viruses, which have been around a lot longer than uh, this one. So in the meantime, you just have to do the best job that you can and adapt. And whether that's social distancing, how do you use technology to try and facilitate and get more people uh, into your um, establishments? And uh, it is looking at kind of solutions and how do you make things better and don't wait for don't wait for a vaccine because you may be waiting a very long time. I, I think companies can make a lot of preparations and companies are getting face screens, sanitizers, all sorts. But I also think people need to learn to live with it. Uh, I'm learning to live with it every day and, and taking responsibility for uh, making sure that I take care and that I am not irresponsible. And I think everybody needs to do that. You know, wear a mask if, if it's appropriate, uh, wash your hands regularly if it's appropriate. Um, and this bit, you know, we're a bit nanny state at the minute where the, the debate about face masks, for example, if it's the right thing to do to protect others, I'm happy to do it. And I, I hate the politics that are getting into the middle of it uh, at this stage. Absolutely. Now, we've heard about the government support already. Um, Richard put that figure on it. £380 billion has been, uh, you know, put aside and is helping with that problem. That was through the initial stages. You know, we're, we're moving towards October when we know that a lot of that support is going to perhaps end. What other support, Anne, is needed for the economy to recover from the pandemic? It's a... Uh, Big, big issue, actually. You know, the furlough schemes, the small business grants and the rates relief were really, really welcome. And, you know, you, 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 and everybody is grateful for that. Um, although some businesses missed out, I, I, I do believe overall the support has been excellent. Sadly, some businesses won't survive because they've lost their customer base or also because um, increasing costs and skills shortages. Um, So we need support, I believe, that is targeted to viable businesses. If a business is not viable, there's no point 
propping it up at this stage. It's a very odd thing for a, a, somebody who leads the Chamber of Commerce to say, but uh, if a business wasn't viable before COVID, it's not going to survive with um, sort of employment grants at this stage. So it's a hub in sectors that have the potential to grow. In the South, you know, the first quarter of this year, they, their GDP actually went up because they had invested in the pharmaceutical sector. So I'm supportive of what the Department of Economy are doing where they're picking out sectors like life sciences, like digital, etc. But also I think we should look at our great agri-food sector. They have done a wonderful job worldwide, but they're being under pressure at the moment because of COVID and the, the impact of the Northern Ireland Protocol on Brexit, on labelling, on their commercial viability, etc. So focus in on helping those businesses that can survive grow uh, for a little bit longer through job support, through training support, I think. We could also do something like bring in, um, you know, pause employers' national insurance, help us better childcare uh, income or something. You know, there's different things that can do that. Um, I do believe, too, there's confusion on the support because, you know, there's all these schemes announced in England, like the kickstart for youth doesn't apply here. Our universities aren't funded as well here as they are in England. So I think we need to get a level playing field. But as a chamber, we focus on trade and export development. So a really strong export support initiative is, it should happen here. Um, you know, businesses can't get to market very easily now. Invest and I have offices all over the world, so we'd like their teams to uh, help represent uh, Northern Ireland businesses where they are, for example. Is there more training and help needed for, for, for businesses to be able to, I mean, man, many people are now going to have to pitch and sell online, um, you know, to, to how do you make that connection with your customer if you if you can't see them, meet them face to face? Literally, uh, Invest and I have offices all over the world. They're there to represent Northern Ireland companies. And I think they're very willing to do that. And I know they're trying to, re to increase staff in those areas. So that use uh, Invest and I, use Chambers of Commerce worldwide, uh, because they are willing to help. There's also ambassadorial teams across the world. Uh, you know, companies need to reach out to them. And people, I think, with COVID, I've had more direct access to senior people all over the world than I've ever had before, yeah. because you're removing the barriers of um, personal assistance, executive assistance, and people, uh, you're removing the barrier of travel. So just be confident and reach out. You're cutting out the middleman, so to speak. Um, Richard, one thing I keep getting asked all the time and lots of conversations um, have been had via Zoom and indeed round dinner tables as well. All of this support provided in the face of COVID-19, how is it going to be paid for? And what are we going to see in, in society in terms of a phase? Is there going to be a whole new phase of austerity, for example, or you know, higher taxes as a result of this? Suppose, well, if you look at the, the public finances, the state of the public finances are much worse now than they were after the last recession and whenever the whole project of austerity was embarked upon. So that's that's maybe not surprising given the pandemic and the, the worst uh, decline in uh, economic output on, on record. And I suppose it's at the minute, how do you deal with that? And it's... Uh, 
a case of borrowing and lots of borrowing and, and that's uh, what has been going on and I suppose one of the benefits uh, of or, or one of the benefits of the fact that interest rates are on the, on the floor at the minute is the cost of government borrowing is so cheap so the actual cost of all this additional 380 odd billion which they're they're uh, committed to this year has never been cheaper so that's a positive but ultimately if you're not going to cut spending and your borrowing has gone up and uh Organisations such as the Office for Budget Responsibility and Institute of Fiscal Studies have warned about that uh, the levels of debt will become unsustainable. You then have to look at how you're going to plug that gap. I don't think there's going to be a rerun in terms of austerity, the public spending cuts which happened in, during 2010 onwards. There isn't the political appetite for that or even amongst the public to do that. Also, given the cuts that have already happened, we've seen the likes of the with the NHS, the difficulties it's had dealing with uh, COVID-19. So that leaves uh, taxation as the other, other area. So I would expect to see, we are going to see higher taxes. The Chancellor will wait until the recovery is secured, but higher taxes is inevitable. Up until now, you've seen a lot of the uh, political parties and chancellors, they've been prepared to break fiscal rules, but not prepared to break manifesto pledges, such as not increasing income tax, VAT, national insurance contributions, etc. So I would expect to see that you are going to have to look at some of those big in income taxes, the biggest uh, uh, earner brings in the most revenue. You're going to have to see income tax in, in my view, so you'll maybe see Rishi Sunak. He's done whatever it takes on the spending side, and we've seen some policies which we never thought we'd see, and maybe we're going to see that on the tax side, and we could well see uh, Rishi Sunak be the first Chancellor since Dennis Healy in 1975 to uh, actually increase the income tax rate. Oh, goodness. So are we likely to see any new stimulus and in terms of how best to secure this recovery in the autumn statement, though? I think, yes, you will see more stimulus in, in the autumn statement. And with the phasing out of the furlough, uh, furlough scheme, I think what you'll see is that that will be kind of flipped into more of like uh, wage subsidies. So at the minute, the, the furlough scheme was you were getting 80%. Government was paying 80% of an employee's wages, even if, they weren't, if they're not working. So rather than funding... Uh, jobs that may not be viable, as Anne was, Anne was saying, it's going to be if jobs are viable, wage subsidies will kick in. So whether that's, for the sake of argument, 10 or 20 percent, and I would also agree with Anne that there will be focus on lowering or reducing the burden of hiring to try and encourage more firms to hire, whether that's their employers' national insurance contributions are lowered, and whether we see more sector-specific schemes such as particularly to help maybe the airline industry, which is in difficulties, the car industry, whether we see a whole flood of uh, environmentally friendly initiatives or incentives to try and get us to buy electric cars. Uh, uh, so, uh, What about but, the rise in unemployment? I mean, people are talking now about the end of the furlough scheme, meaning this largest rise, highest level since the mid-80s. What do you think? Yeah, and I suppose that we are destined to see an unemployment rate above 10%, in my view. Whether we see, it depends on what the policy response is, furlough rolls off, 
It depends how generous any other schemes that come in in terms of wage subsidies will maybe mitigate against that. But we are going to see this uh, big rise in unemployment. We've already seen it come through to a certain degree. And it's the younger generation or the the ones who are hit hardest by that. They are always during recessions. And you sort of think... uh, uh, some people in their in their mid to late thirties even are are going to experience their second uh, once in a lifetime economic recession. Which you know I I thought I, I I thought I'd seen the big recession that I was going to see in my lifetime, uh, two thousand and eight two thousand and nine, but it's been trumped by this one. And uh, particularly younger people trying to get their foot on the career ladder trying to get their foot on the property ladder. They, they are the ones who need the stimulus and the support and the training and all the kind of gaps. I mean, the, the, the big hurrah around the Kickstart programme in England it was amazing. I thought I got excited, but it doesn't apply here. So yeah. our executive needs to look at how it translates that. I am also a senator at Queen's University. And, you know, we have a, a big challenge this year getting work placements for students uh, to gain the experience they need. And hopefully companies will be able to respond. But at the moment, they're too busy. They're in survival mode. And we need to make sure that happens, you know, next year that our students, we don't have a generation that misses out in the opportunity to look after their future. You talked also about university. Um, You know, what about apprenticeships? Is there there government support uh, in that area at the minute? There is. But again, that's an area which I think they need to really ramp up on because it's going to be when economists talk about uh, scarring in the economy or scarring in, within the labour market, it's people who would leave from university or leave from school and don't get the opportunity to work. And once you have a period of unemployment, that will then have an impact on them, which will uh, basically will last for the rest of their career. So you've got to do apprenticeships, whether it's more university places, whether it's more FE places. There's got to be a big push on that front. And I also think one of the biggest legacies is from COVID-19 is going to be uh, the class of 2020 and educational underachievement, which there needs to be programmes of how you address that. Because mm-hmm. even before COVID-19, while we have great A-level results in, in Northern Ireland, we churn out a higher proportion of school kids with no qualifications than any other UK region. And we're going to see a surge in, uh, in that in, in the next year or so. Starting out now as a young person, not perhaps being able to go into the office, not being able to forge relationships, it would be a very lonely world, Anne. I, th- I think so. I mean, as an organisation, it encourages everybody to network and get yeah. to know each other. And, you know, how you get your, your, your job, how you become known is go out there and shine uh, in front of businesses and others. And the apprenticeship uh, uh, situation is quite a, a challenging one. There was great examples here of, uh, of good apprentice, you know, good, sorry, good apprentice experiences. But the apprenticeship levy, which came in a few years ago, damaged that, I think. Now, it is under review, and I hopefully uh, it becomes more, uh, you know, Northern Ireland young people get more access to it. And turning back to Brexit, obviously the UK has now left the EU. We're currently in the transition period. We're hurtling towards what looks like a no-deal Brexit, but who knows whether that will change. What advice are you giving to your businesses at present about preparing for the end of the transition period, because we have taken our eye off the ball a little, I would say. 
I know Brexit has been a challenge and um, uh, I'm part of a, a group of 20 business organisations and we haven't taken our eye on, off the ball on Brexit because there are big challenges ahead. You know, um, as you said, if there's no deal, uh, WTO tariffs will apply and that'll be more costs to business. If uh, there's work on the internal market, but it's complicated by the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, for example. And also there's free trade uh, uh, deals being organised by by Britain, but we're not sure how Northern Ireland will um, benefit from those. But regardless of all of that uncertainty and all of that going around, businesses need to start getting ready now. And we really believe that there's practical things they can do, even if there is some changes until on on Brexit, you know, the final design of Brexit. You know, so for example, you can actually understand the movement uh, of your goods in your supply chain. Now, if you haven't looked at it, look at it. Um, look at the commodity codes you need um, and what tariff rate will apply. Uh, also, consider how you'll manage the filing of import declarations and look at what uh, what um, trade deal will apply to your movement of goods. It is a technical, technical subject. Um, there is support out there for businesses, not just from Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce, who does customs training and uh, commodity code trading, but there's a new initiative out by HMRC uh, that's a 50 million fund for businesses to gear up, and they can either... Um, develop an in-house team or they can use an agent but whatever route they take they should be doing something now also businesses that employ uh, international staff um, there are there's going to be changes to the migration uh, laws so register now as a sponsor you can do that so, so what i'm saying no matter what it ends up like in december start looking at your business i know large businesses have but small businesses may not have so get help as fast as possible. Okay, and thank goodness you haven't taken your eye off the ball. I'm sure you haven't uh, taken your eye off the Brexit ball either, uh, Richard. But in many respects, climate change is an even bigger issue for the economy, and it's something that definitely hasn't gone away. Absolutely. Uh, we have been tackling the health emergency and more recently the economic emergency. But at the tail end of last year, uh, it was the uh, climate emergency, which was... Uh, exercising most people's minds and indeed it was 2019 uh, the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year was uh, climate emergency and indeed if you, you only have to think of uh, the Time magazine the person of the year was Greta Thunberg who came out of nowhere because of the whole new environmental consciousness and the idea that climate change is happening so fast that it needs to be upgraded to uh, climate emergency so it's going to come back, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an important priority and in many ways the pandemic has maybe provided it with a boost because it's actually through COVID-19 we have seen the damage and impact that a virus which can start somewhere else and the actions or inactions around the world leads to consequences for everywhere else. And uh, with, with regard to climate change, it's the same thing as well. It requires collective action uh, now, and we'd expect to see uh, more and more measures, whether it's looking at energy efficiency, how, whether we're getting in terms of uh, more electric vehicles, all of those kind of things. We'll just see uh, this kind of idea of a Green New Deal, which was launched about a decade ago and kind of 
fell flat on its face, I think it will land better uh, this time around and more countries are probably bought in uh, to embark on it. Businesses are really well aware of their responsibilities in, in that area and many are already working to reduce their carbon emissions. Um, Northern Ireland Chamber, I've been working with other business organisations including business and community on we've developed a climate change action pledge and really great to know that you know companies in manufacturing or businesses in the public sector and even Ulster Bank yourselves you, you've uh, actually uh, signed up to the Paris Climate uh, Agreement so they, they're, there's great uh, activity happening, we just need more of it uh, companies would say particularly the smaller ones that there is a few barriers to in terms of cost and or in terms of access to information. So it might be a good idea for Invest NI to re-kickstart their energy efficiency support, for example. We also need investment in electric chargers. You know, if you can't, uh, my husband drives an electric car um, and it's plugged in at the side of the house, but we, we, we want to do a staycation soon. That's where we're heading. We have run out of time today on, on our podcast. I want to just say thank you so much to Richard Ramsey, Ulster Bank's Chief Economist in Northern Ireland, and Anne McGregor, the Chief Executive of the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce and Industry, who I have to mention also became a grandmother for the first time during COVID. That must have been an experience and a whole other podcast. It was fantastic. Um, um, it was a good experience for my daughter because she didn't have to put up with us visiting her every day. But it's a delight to have uh, Cora Marie Doug deal in her life. Fantastic and I'm sure I'm sure she missed her mummy terribly during that time. Thank you Anne and Richard for joining me today for what was a really insightful discussion about the challenges and opportunities for the business community and wider economy. This has been the final episode of Thrive in the New World, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you by Ulster Bank. I've been your host, Sarah Travers, and I want to thank you all for joining us in this series. You can, of course, listen back to our previous episodes on all the main podcast platforms. Just search Thrive in the New World to hear from a range of innovative local businesses. Thanks so much for your company. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.